Welcome to The Sustainable Life. This is Josh Spodak, and I'm here with Jackie Buchanan. Jackie, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm really good. I'm really excited to be here. And so years ago, I said, I forget how long it's been now, uh, a listener contacted me and said that she really liked the show. And we got to talking and she suggested, why don't you have guests on or listeners on as guests? So I asked her on and then I had a couple other listeners as guests. And when it, you contacted me maybe two months ago about and you, so I'll let you share what you told me the first time because it was very flattering and we emailed a few times and then I suggested being a guest and it, you sounded very enthusiastic about it. And I wonder if you could share about yourself and then how you found me and how you came to contact me. Yeah, sure. Um, if you want, I'll start with I when I contacted you. Basically, I think I just listened to episode 19 from back in 2018. Mm-hmm. And the guest speaker was all about being brave. And I'd been listening to your podcast for a while now. So I thought, you know what? I'll just reach out to this person. I won't really expect an answer back. Just saying, hey, I'm a huge fan of the show. This is the impact it's had on me. And then you replied, which was really unexpected and <laughs> really awesome. Because, yeah, basically, I just wanted to share what I'd been doing. So I basically introduced myself saying that I was a student in Curtin University in Western Australia and that I'd done a sustainability challenge at Curtin um, last year as one of my electives. And it just kind of sparked this interest in sustainability that I didn't know I had. And basically, I started doing all these things to kind of further my career or create my career in sustainability. And part of that just kind of expanded into my personal life as well, which is why I started listening to your podcast. So I've done some things after the sustainability challenge. So we've got a student guild, which is kind of like a student union at our um, university. So I kind of walked up to them and said, hey, you don't have a sustainability officer. That's something we should really be doing. So I kind of helped create that role. And this year I actually participated in the guild elections and I got elected into the role of vice president of sustainability and welfare. So I'll be the first person to do that. So I'm really excited. All right. I signed up for the Carbon Literacy Project through Curtin, but they've partnered with the University of Queensland. And it does something similar to what your podcast seems to do, where it kind of educates people on the impacts of their daily choices and about carbon emissions and what that actually does to the environment. And it helps like calculate your carbon footprint. So it tells you like what your carbon footprint's like for driving or versus public transport. Flying was a big one um, because there was a few international students and they're like, well, you know, I have to fly home. Like I don't really have a choice. They naturally had a bigger carbon footprint than students who didn't travel. So that was really cool to kind of educate myself on that. I also started a club at Curtin. So we've called ourselves the Sustainability Collective at Curtin. So I'm the president and founder of that, and we wanted to kind of create an environment where students could, in a judgment-free zone, be curious about sustainability because we have to remember as university students, the majority of us who, you know, might not be employed or if we are employed, it's working casually. Sometimes we have to make unsustainable choices because it's the economic choice and we care about the environment, but we can't always afford to make the more sustainable choice. So the example I was giving was... um, we had like prizes for our first event and we had to go to Kmart and get the metal straws because we couldn't afford to get them anywhere else because they were on sale at Kmart for a dollar. And we had no funding for a, as a club. So we got the uh, metal straws from Kmart and we got the 
It's like the stretchy food lids instead of glad wrap. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're trying to educate students of, you know, this isn't the best option. Sorry, this isn't the most sustainable option, but it's the best option we have available to us. And it's kind of getting students to take the first steps within their means and, you know, letting them know, hey, we're not going to judge you if you have to buy, you know, your like daily alternatives from Kmart. Like if that's what you can afford, that's what you can afford. So personally, like I try and shop at um, like the Salvation Army or the the Red Cross, like so like thrift stores before going to stores like that and just letting them know what alternatives there are, but also creating that environment of if this is all you can do, that's okay. Like just do what you can do. And then from there, as more options become available, take make those choices. And then what else? I started volunteering with the Western Australian Division of the UN on their environmental committee, which has been really cool and really eye-opening. I got to go to their World Oceans Day event because I was the photographer and I'm going to be helping uh, organize an event for a sustainable cities event, which is really cool. And it's right up my alley because I'm doing a property degree. What else have I done? Um, I think that's just to name a few, some of the things that I've done. Oh, I'm also now co-lead on a project um, at Curtin. It's urban ecology with um, Dr. Brinley Ong. So it's called like One Planet, Many Worlds. And yeah, I think, I think that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot. And I think it began with you saying that you, you weren't really that involved and it feels like you went from zero to a hundred in overnight. Yeah, pretty quick. <laughs> or were there a lot of years in between? Yeah. Yeah. The sustainability challenge kind of opened my eyes to, hey, this is an option as a career because within the challenge, I, as I said earlier, I'm doing a property degree. So it's property development evaluation. And my industry partner of the group I was in was all about retrofitting existing dwellings. And our industry partners was a window company and a blind company. So it's retrofitting existing dwellings with double glazing because it's pretty much stock standard to have single glazing over here, which is changing. And we kind of worked with those clients saying, because the clients were saying, hey, we have these options that will make a home, you know, more energy efficient with the double glazing and the blinds had like um, on the black, on the back of it, it had like a reflective filament. So it would reflect a lot of the solar radiation out of the house. And those two companies were saying, hey, like we've got this great product, but no one's buying it. And we quickly realized that when people think about, you know, renovating their house, they're not thinking about their windows. It's kind of like, you know, they're thinking about getting new bench tops and, you know, getting the floors done and painting and new couch and furniture, whereas their windows isn't really on the list at all. And we realized it was an education gap of people aren't coming to these clients for their products because they don't realize they need it and they don't realize what the benefit would be. So yeah, that was kind of the week-long project of working with them and figuring out why people weren't coming to them. So I realized that wow, there's actually a career opportunity within sustainability for me in the property development side of things. And I've been chasing that ever since. Now I have to ask some selfish questions. So how did you find this podcast amid all that? Did you, were you listening to lots of podcasts? Did you search for something in particular? I said, I literally popped onto Spotify and went sustainability podcast because <laughs> um, I wanted to learn more about it. So part of my it's going to be off topic, but I swear it is. It's on topic. Part of my carbon literacy project is at the end of it, similar to your podcast, you have to make a pledge of how are you going to reduce your carbon footprint. And I knew that I was driving to university a lot. 
And I said, look, I used to live right by a train station. I used to catch public transport all the time. I didn't even have a car until a year and a half ago. And then when I moved out, I lived nowhere near a train station and the buses didn't run very often. And I really wanted to get back into the rhythm of catching public transport. And I tried to make it work, but the buses that I live well, near where I live only run every half an hour. Mm-hmm. And I would pretty much have to be getting up at 5.30 in the morning to get to my nine o'clock class. So the time it would Gosh. take. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so because of the timing of my classes, the buses run even less often, very early in the morning. So yeah, it wasn't really feasible for me to be catching public transport that early, even though I really wanted to. And it really deflated me. And I was like, oh, I really wanted to do this. But instead, what I found is there's two people who live on the way to university to me. So I, on the days where I can, I drive to the train station and then catch the train in. But on those early morning classes where that still doesn't get me to class on time, what I do is I will text these people and say, hey, I'm going to university at this time. Do you want to lift? If they do, that's great. And if not, I'll probably 95% of the time, I'm at least giving them a lift home. So I started carpooling instead of just giving up on the notion completely. Mm-hmm. So I realized that as part of that pledge, you know, I had to make changes in my personal life. This wasn't all about a career tra- trajectory and, you know, driving in the mornings and the afternoons, I kind of got sick of listening to the radio and the same songs all the time. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to find podcasts and listen to what other people are doing because I've figured out that this, my original pledge didn't work for me, but I figured a way around it of I'm still reducing my carbon emissions. It's not perfect, but it works for my situation. And I'm sure other people have been put in this same situation where they've either given up or they've come up with an even better solution than, than me. So I wanted to find other people who are in similar situations. And I, your podcast is at the top of the list. I was like, yeah, I'll give this guy a go. And yeah, I found your podcast really interesting. I loved how you just had conversations with people and heard their stories and asked them questions. And not going to lie, you call a few people out, which is, I think, really cool. Um, but yeah, I really liked the feel of your podcast. And so, yeah, I just kept listening. Were there other ones you also listened to? I'm curious what's what's out there. So yours is at the top of the list and I really liked it. So in my head, I was going to listen to like completely catch up on your podcast before listening to others. But there is another one. It's, I think it's this climate of change and it's got Kate Blanchlett in it. She's one of the people speaking Uh and I wanted to listen to that, but they're not on Spotify. So I've pretty much just been listening to your podcast. And you started, do I remember right that you started from the beginning and you're, you're binging going from episode 000 to all the way through? Yeah, I'm on episode 20 something at the moment. So really early. So you've, you don't really, because I, when I emailed you, I mentioned the Spotify method and you were, you haven't gotten to it yet. No, not yet. So this is going to be exciting because you said some things that I'm like, oh, she's going to, that are pre Spotify method comments. So I'm okay. curious how it'll it'll play out when they get when we get to it. And you mentioned, well, how did I call people out? Because it was early. When I, I mean, now I'm thinking back to the early episodes, and because I would try not to call people out now, I w- would not want to uh, like I want to go to where they are and support them, but also help them if they want to 
I mean, my definition of leadership is helping people do what they already want to do, but haven't figured out how. Yeah. So calling people out doesn't fit with that. Calling out might not be the best phrasing. It was more of, I think a few of your guests were like, no, no, I'm fine. And you're like, are you sure you don't want to do a challenge? It could be something as simple as this. And they eventually relented and agreed to do like one challenge or another. And you kind of, I suppose, you got people to challenge their way of thinking of, going, yeah, no, I'm pretty sustainable already. Like I don't really need to improve. And you kind of pointed out gently that, you know, everyone can improve. And yeah, you got a few people to kind of actually take on a challenge when initially they weren't really willing to. Okay. You know, might even be worth just jumping into this product method right now, even though we want to jump into it? Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Okay. So, and I'm thinking I should maybe explain a little bit because what one thing I've learned is that if I give the person the challenge or the commitment, then that's imposing on them. And I don't necessarily know what motivates them. So the, yeah. the big thing that I've moved to later than the episodes you've listened to are that I start by listening to them, finding out from them what the environment means to them. You'll hear it evolve because in the early episodes, I didn't have this yet. And a lot of what I did at the early Regular listeners will know my phrase, CCCSC, not phrase, but acronym, which stands for convincing, coercing, cajoling, seeking compliance, to which I usually okay. add bludgeoning afterward because <laughs> I can't stand bludgeoning. Like, like, oh, here's one little thing you can do for the environment. It's like it implies the person doesn't want to do it. And yeah. you may get compliance for them doing this one thing, but you may reinforce the beliefs that were driving the contrary behavior that neither you nor they want. So I start now with, uh, well, there's the zeroth question, which is, is the environment something that matters to you enough to act on? I think I know the answer to this one. Uh, yes, absolutely. Okay. So when you, th everyone has, like if I ask someone what nature means to them, almost everyone has some picture in their mind of, Often it's, you know, if they grew up by the, by the beach, it might be more beach related. If it was in the mountains, it might be more mountain related. And, but it's different for everyone because no two people have the same exact background. Hey. So when you think of a quintessential moment of nature, of you being in nature, enjoying yourself or, you know, not burning fossil fuels, are there any particular scenes that come to mind? Yeah, it might be unsurprising, but for me, it's the beach. Uh -huh. So my dad actually, because I'm originally from Queensland over on the east coast of Australia. When I was younger, my dad took me to Heron Island, which is a turtle sanctuary. And we stayed on the island. And at night, I thought it was really cool because I was, you know, seven or eight. and I got to stay out when it was dark. <laughs> um, but uh -huh. looking back, I was so ecstatic that I got to see this because you went out with these little torches on your head and there was a wooden jetty that you could walk on on the beach because you weren't allowed to walk on the beach because it's where turtles go to nest and so we were on this wooden plank on the beach oh, sorry on this wooden jetty watching turtles you know come up from the ocean dig lay their eggs you know bury them and then go back out to sea so that's like a really big moment in my life when I think of the environment and the other moments in my life is just you know going to the local beach near me uh in Dari so and just knowing that the water there is clean and it's clear and it's really encouraging because there's almost never any rubbish on the beach when I go. 
it's we yeah. we're quite lucky to have a lot of clean beaches and when i go walking along the beach you know i'm on the lookout for rubbish but i also see other people where other couples will suddenly vr and they'll pick up a piece of rubbish and they'll drop it in the bin on their way back and it's really i don't know it's really encouraging when you see a complete stranger do that i pick up litter all the time and i so rarely see someone else picking up litter so ah uh, i have to editorialize here that it's so painful to hear someone say, oh, there's only a little bit of rubbish on the beach. So that's good because there once yeah. was none. And it's so normal to have a lot Yeah, to say that, for it to mean that a little is, is good. Like that's, and we're producing more than ever. Oh my God, yeah. I'm going to cry. I'm, I'm not really right now, but well, of, of the moments that you described, let's go with the turtle one. Mm-hmm. Do you, so you're with your family. Was it, it sounds like it happened more than once. So for me, it only happened once. I only have the, I only went to Heron Island once when I was little. I think I was seven or eight years old. So it was, you know, quite a while ago now. But yeah, it was just really impactful. And I remember even as a kid going, this is, this is pretty special. Like, I don't think everyone gets to see this. Mm-hmm. Can you take us there? Like, what do you what do you smell and hear and taste and touch and see? Smell? It's salty, salty sea air. Uh-huh. You can you can't obviously touch them. You're like quite set back, and there's like a barrier. Huh? So, but you can feel kind of like the you know the feeling of like old wood, the where it's been weathered over time, like not sanded. It's just pure it's like knotty and yeah it's groovy like it's just sea breeze that's worn it away mm-hmm. so i can feel that and i remember my dad like holding me being like because i wanted to you know go on the sand and touch the turtles and he's like no kid you have to stay here <laughs> but yeah i remember i just remember mostly the thing that stands out the most is the feeling of this is really special and as a kid, I just remember being not overwhelmed, but just feeling feelings that I hadn't felt before because like, I didn't really have the language yet. I remember being like, oh, this is really cool and this is really special. Like, you know, not everyone gets to do this. And but I think looking back as, as an adult, it was a really connecting moment with nature. Like it was a moment where I got to see turtles laying their eggs like right in front of me, like meters away from me. And yeah, it was just really, it was a really grounding moment. If you didn't have the words for the emotions then, can you put some names to the emotions now? Yeah, I was probably in awe. Wow. Yeah, I think that's going to be the best way to describe it. I was in awe and I still get this feeling of that was really special and magical. Yeah. So awe and it sounds like there's more because... I don't know. I'm hearing like curiosity or wonder. Oh, yeah. I suppose I was curious because, you know, I knew what turtles were and I'd seen them when I was, you know, like snorkeling, but I didn't realize that turtles, first of all, when I was little, I didn't realize that turtles laid eggs. I don't know. I just didn't really think about how sea animals actually, you know, reproduce. But yeah, it was curiosity and it was. I think even back then I had this sense of we need to protect this because I understood that even back then when I was little, 
you know, we're, we're not allowed to go on the beach because we could damage their eggs and we could scare them or we could hurt the turtles. So there's this feeling of human beings need to be responsible for their actions because we're going to affect more than just other humans. Like in this instance, would affect the turtles. And so it was kind of, actually, yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. It was my first kind of feeling of, oh, like my actions, I need to bear responsibility for this environment on on that island in that moment. Yeah, and I think that's the first time I ever felt kind of responsible for the environment. But back then it was a bit more of a narrow scope of the environment being the that night on that island, whereas now I can understand the bigger implications. And when you say so protective and delicate, so there's some some delicacy there. It's delicate. It's something worth protecting. There's value. So given these feelings of awe, curiosity, protective, now I, I ask you to, if you can think of something you can do, and it's, it's this is if you want to, you don't have to. But something you could do to act on those feelings, to bring those feelings into your life now, it could be one of them, it could be all of them. And it's not to recreate that moment because that's a one-time thing. And and the point is to be able to get what nature brings without having to go all over the place to get it, to get it you know, here now in your regular life. So the, the challenge, if you're up for it, is to think of something you could do to manifest those emotions to make yourself feel awe or wonder or curiosity or that protectiveness with three constraints. It's The first is that it's something that you aren't already doing. Mm-hmm. The next is something that you, you have to do it yourself. So it's not like, I'll get the students in this group to do something. I mean, you can mm-hmm. involve other people, but you have to be physically involved. And the third thing is it has to have some physical component. Mm-hmm. And you have to in so you don't have to measure anything, but in some sense, when you're done with it, you have to feel like you've left it better than you found it. Yeah. And I also I want to point out something I did not say that almost everyone hears, and it is emphatically not to do something to fix a problem. This is not to make the environment better. It's not to green anything. That may be a side effect, but the goal is for you to feel these emotions that it sounded like you like those feelings. And mm-hmm. and I contend that people can get them without having to fly away to the Amazon for them. Yeah. Okay, cool. Because I was expecting this and I actually, because I'm going off of your earlier podcast, I love how Mm -hmm. the language of your challenges now changed, how it's more like emotional. So I actually already Mm -hmm. had one prepared, but now it's not going to feel the emotional aspect of it because I wanted to, I was thinking about what my challenge could be Uh because I've already tried to whittle away at a few things. And now it doesn't make any sense because I was going to try and I really liked your personal challenge of avoiding packaged foods, mm-hmm. which I did have a question for you about. So I was going to try and make my own bread because every time we get bread, it comes in like little plastic uh, yeah. bag. So I was, that doesn't satisfy the emotional. So I, I won't say not to do that. Oh, sorry. But that wouldn't be the... Let's put that on the agenda for things to talk about, but that wouldn't, unless it's something that it was coming from that emotion, it would be something different. Yeah, no, it wouldn't. I love bread, but not that much. <laughs> so It's not like a turtle laying an egg on the beach. 
Yeah. Yeah, I think it would have to involve getting back out into nature because that's the only way I'm going to get that connection. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't. I'm not saying you have to get the equal of that. It's not like yeah. you have to match it. But to get something like that. Yeah. I'm just trying to think. Oh, yeah. And at this stage, some people, every now and then someone will say, oh, you know, I've been meaning to do X for a while and they've got something right off the bat. Like mm. someone's been meaning to start a garden and they, you know, and this is like, oh, this is my excuse to do it. And that works. But most of the time people don't have something in mind. And it can take a few minutes, sometimes longer, to go yeah, back and forth a I bit. Actually, um Based off your previous podcast, I actually knew that you were going to ask me something like this and I had already thought of, okay, I was going to do the cold showers, but I'm already taking cold showers half the time because I turn the shower off. Uh-huh. Like, so I get wet, turn the shower off, lather up, and then rinse off instead of having it running the whole time. So I'm like, I can't uh-huh. do a shower one. <laughs> I've tried to do the garden, but I don't have a green thumb in my body and they always die. Yeah, you're doing what most people do. Mm. which is what can I do for the environment? And yeah. it's really what out there might I be curious about? What out there might be might inspire awe? What parts of my life don't have enough responsibility in them if, if yeah. you wanted to go in that direction? Yeah. And I'll ask you afterward what it feels like, the difference in focus between, like what the different focus is. But let's get the, let's hold off on, on the meta conversation and see if yeah. something comes to mind. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. I can't think of anything at the moment because all of mine were kind of in that lens of reducing Helping my carbon the environment. footprint or reducing my consumption yeah. rather than having that emotional connection. So one something that helps sometimes is, is that when I ask, are there parts of your life that don't have awe or curiosity in them that could have more? Or alternatively, are there parts that have a bunch that you could augment? I don't have the awe so much anymore, but there's definitely a lot of curiosity and it's mostly about like the sustainable housing, but I feel like I can't really do that because I'm already, it's something that I'm already doing and the whole thing of your challenge is you can't already be doing it. So I'm learning as much as I can about it, both within my degree and also just in casual reading and also in the career trajectory that I'm trying to build for myself. I'm trying to like capture or think of something that would create that sense of awe. And I think it would have to be something to do with nature, like actually physically getting back out there. Yeah. Are there things around you that you could discover or things that you haven't, that you haven't explored lately or haven't explored at all? Actually. Okay. Yep. I think I've, I think I've figured it out. I know that it's not going to, change make an impact on the environment per se but Mm -hmm. i actually want to start hiking i was never one for hiking i'm allergic to so many different types of grasses so i find hiking especially in spring to just be a generally uncomfortable and itchy experience Mm -hmm. but i do want to get out there and actually just be in nature and you know go for hikes or even just walk along the beach and kind of get that connection back because I have found that I've been studying it and reading about it, but I haven't actually been in it in quite some time. Like I, I'm trying to think back to the last time I went for a walk on the beach and I think it's been like months 
And I know it's been over a year since I went last went on a hike because, like I mentioned, I was allergic to grass and I was there for 20 minutes and <laughs> had to go home. Uh-huh. But yeah, I think my challenge is going to be reconnecting with nature. And while I'm out there, you know, making sure if I see any rubbish, like picking up, which is I try and make a habit of already. But I think that's going to be reigniting that awe and curiosity and also that sense of responsibility of just being in nature again. I think it's going to hopefully reawaken that. So that, it sounds like it checks all the things. You would do it yourself. It's something you weren't already doing. And if you're picking up litter, then it's leaving it better than you found it. Mm. And so let's make it a SMART goal. I don't know if you know the acronym for a specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, time-bound. So I want to have a second conversation with you and ask how it went. Mm-hmm. And how many times would you have to go over how, what period of time so we could schedule a second conversation if you're up for it? So if I ask how did it go, you can give a meaningful answer. Yeah. Let's, what is it? The 21st of October. Yeah. Do you want to do just over a month from now, like on the 25th of November? Okay. So let's. Before we hang up, but after we stop recording, we'll get calendars out and set the time. So something like a month from now. Yeah. Okay. And now, do you think that you'll enjoy this? Yeah, I think I do. And I've been meaning to get back out and doing this anyway. Like I've been meaning to kind of hopefully improve my physical health. So it does. Yeah, I think it does tick all the boxes. If it's, how far away is it for, like, how hard is it to, for you to do this? The beach is a 15, 20 minute drive. Uh-huh. But there's a, it's a hike that I can do in Bells Rapids, which I think is also about a 20 minute drive. So if these things are, it sounds like they're easy to access. Yeah. They've been sitting there for over a year. How come, yep. what was? <laughs> oh, they've been sitting there for longer. Well, I mean, yeah, you haven't gone there for in that time, if I remember right. Yeah. So how come, why not do it then? I think I've been really bad at overexerting myself in my studies. Mm-hmm. So I try and take on too many projects and I've done it again this year where I decided, okay, I'm going to quit my job so I can focus on my university full time because I was trying to work and do uni, which wasn't very sustainable (laughs) um and then it's like my brain went oh you're not working you've got all this extra time let's do all these extra things so then I started the club I you know ran for that position at the student guild I started volunteering with the UN and I'm finding that I'm have almost next to no time and I'll try and catch up with my friends and they're like oh are you free this weekend I said no but are you free you know two months from now and they're like seriously is that your next availability and I show them my calendar I'm like Yes. Yes, I am. So I think it is going to play into like making the time for myself because I just haven't been putting my time for myself as a priority. It's always been, okay, well, if I've got time to, you know, go to the gym or go for a walk, I should really be working on that, you know, report that's due next week. Or, you know, I said that I'd help this person out with their project or I should be doing something else. So I think I need to take a step back and actually reassess where what is a priority and I need to actually put self-care kind of up the list because it always keeps going down the list and you know my health has been suffering for it I know I haven't been healthy for a while so 
I'm hoping that almost shifting the lens of this is something that I've told you that I'm going to do and this is something that's going to connect me to nature and bring that responsibility rather than just looking at it as doing exercise, looking after myself, I think will help me push that up the list. Does that make sense? I think so. It, there's a lot of complexity there, although it's also being as a teacher at NYU, the students are constantly overloading themselves. Yep. And it seems like they, if you ask them, they will conscious at the, the top of their conscience, they'll say, consciousness, they'll say they're doing things that are important to them. But if you dig enough, then they really don't know what their values are because they, you got to say no to a lot of good things to have a great life. Yeah. And so they end up, oh man, every semester, guaranteed, a student will come to me and say, I want to work with you. Mm. And I will say, I've learned from experience, it's, I'm fine to have to do a project, but it's worse for me for you to start and stop in the middle than for you not to start at all. So I want to make sure that you can do it. And because yeah. I got burned a bunch of times, they'd say, I want to do something and they, they wouldn't do it. So they would invariably say, yes, no matter what I can, you know, I, I see my calendar, I can make sure that I can do it. And then, you know, next thing you know, they're in the middle of it and they say, oh, I can't do it. And I would say, what happened? I thought you said, and they said, oh, no, they would say like, oh, well, there's this family thing. And I was like, well, did you know about the family thing before? And they're like, oh, well, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. And so there's this epidemic of the, I don't know if it's young people or if it's, if it's this generation or if it's always young people, but putting as much as they can on their plate and then they'll, they'll, they'll put stuff on their plate and then. Once it's there, then they take for granted that it's there, and then they'll try to like do something at the same time as that. Yeah. And I don't know if I don't know if COVID had anything to do with it, but it's like when COVID happened and lockdowns happened, there was no physical separation. There wasn't okay. I'm leaving my house now to go to uni or to go to work, and so I feel like people just started doing more work and taking more things on because they had so much extra time and also in places where there were lockdowns you weren't actually necessarily allowed to leave so it's kind of to escape that feeling of I'm not allowed to leave my house they started doing more things because I know for me that I'm looking at my life pre-COVID and post-COVID and pre-COVID I was pretty good at going actually no like I don't have capacity for this sorry like I can come back to you in a few months or I can see if someone else can help you whereas post-COVID it's been, yeah, I can do this. I can do this. And it's like I have to stay busy all the time. And I think I need to really get out of that habit. It's not been healthy. Like I've been sick so many times this year. In fact, I had to reschedule this very interview because I had like bronchitis. Like I can't and I couldn't physically talk that much without coughing and also it wouldn't have been very good audio quality. So yeah, I think, I don't know if COVID had anything to do with it, but that. So in my mind, it might have something to do with it. I have this theory that I haven't been able to test. I'm not going to test it. But I think that the cause and effect, you're saying that you're busy and therefore not having time for nature. And I think the cause and effect may be the other way around. So I've not been in nature. So I'm making myself busy? Yeah. Yeah. That not. I think that nature, up until recently, everyone who ever lived could just simply walk out and be in solitude among trees or the beach and there'd be no helicopters flying overhead. There'd be no um, yeah. litter on the ground. So we always had nature around. And 
I think that it had a calming effect, uh, putting things in perspective. I think awe was more a part of people's lives. I mean, which what moments stick with you more? The turtle moment or one of these busy afternoons? Oh, definitely turtle moment. <laughs> I mean, you got more done with the busy times, but you I got think, so much done. Yeah. Yeah, because I know that even within myself, if I'm super stressed and, you know, when you're so stressed, it takes the, you can physically feel it, like your heart rate won't come down. You feel like you're a little bit hyperventilating or I think I'm I'm mostly explaining panic rather than stress. But if I find if I go to the beach within minutes, if I get out of my car and I can feel the wind on my face, I can hear the ocean, I my breathing automatically slows, my heart rate slows, and I immediately become calmer. It's like I can't be angry when I'm at the beach, not that I want to be, or it's like I can't be stressed when I'm at the beach or upset because it's just so, it has that calming effect on me. Do you see what I'm saying about the cause and effect, that lack of beach? Yeah. Yeah, I do actually. Or hiking or whatever. So this smart goal, so specific, is going to be, I think it's mostly going to be walking along the beach, especially now it's getting warmer. Mm-hmm. And how many times do you, are you going to go in the month? This helps a lot too. The more specific, it's it's much easier to go once than yeah. to go maybe sometime, you know, can you say it? particular time that you're going to go? Yeah. So if we say roughly a month from now, so that's four weeks from now, a minimum I need to do four, but I'm going to aim, I'm going to aim for eight. So twice a week. But if I can come to you and say six, I'm going to be content with that. All right. So I propose, can you, would the four be like weekend mornings or I'm not sure your schedule, maybe it would be evenings. I'm not, what works it's it's going to change day by day just because university is kind of wrapping up for me. So I'm finishing up a f- my final few assessments, then I'm, I'm immediately starting an internship. So I think it is going to have to be weekends during my internship. But between now and when my internship starts, I want to go on maybe a couple afternoon walks if I can. And also to help, I'm trying to help specify because that usually makes it easier to do are yeah. they going to be like full day things, 10 minute things? Does it matter? It won't be able to be full day things, but I want to be walking for at least half an hour. Okay. And would you go with anyone or solo? I might do solo, but I'm going to try and drag my partner to at least a few Okay, because <laughs> he's also been meaning to get back out and do some more exercise, but he's actually following through on that and making time for himself. All right. I'm glad that you said that if he can't make it, you'll still go. Because sometimes yeah. someone will pick something and they don't say it to me if like they're like, and they're thinking to themselves, I'll do it if my wife does it or, you know, I'll do it if yeah. my, with my father or something. And and then the other person doesn't, wasn't part of this conversation. They're like, I sorry, I can't do it. And then the person doesn't do it. Yeah. Like, so it's, it's very useful if, even if he can't make it, you'll still go. Yeah. And all right. So I've walked you through this process mm-hmm. and you wouldn't have come up with it had I not walked you through it. Are you going to do these hikes for me? Yes and no. I feel like if I lie to myself and say no, I have I can't let Josh down. I have to I have to do these and almost like give myself this pretend deadline or like uh-huh. kind of shift the responsibility to you, knowing full well that I'm doing it for myself and I want to keep this as a habit, but I think just to get myself started going, no, I've promised this person I'm going to do this. So 
I am going to do it for you, but also deep down, I know it's, I know it's for me. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to go meta here. So we, we finished the first part of it, okay. which is once you, once we scheduled the second conversation, then the next big part is you doing it. And I, mm -hmm. I often ask people if they think that they'll enjoy it. And then I say, and they generally say yes. And then I say, mm -hmm. even no matter how much you think you're going to enjoy it, you're going to enjoy it more. Mm. Because it's one thing to imagine yourself hiking. It's another thing to smell the things and see the stuff and be in that moment and your breath slows down. And almost always people do more than they say they would. Yeah. Okay. If it works, sometimes it doesn't quite click. No, I'm looking forward to that. Oh, that I'm glad to hear. What what difference do you pick up between what you the what you heard in, in the early episodes and how I do it now? I'm really curious. Mostly, it's the emotional thing. So I really like how you're getting people to focus on something that is emotional to them, and getting them to focus on that rather than just okay, well, what can I do to reduce my carbon footprint or to reduce my consumption? Like, how what can I do to benefit the environment? Whereas what you're now asking more specifically is what can you do for yourself that also benefits the environment? It's actually for yourself and it ends up benefiting the environment. Yeah. Actually, yeah, you're right. Sorry. And for me, the big distinction, and it took me a long time to reach this. I'll be curious if you pick it up as you're listening to more episodes that it's I used to think big, small for commitment or effective, ineffective, but now it's yeah. intrinsic versus extrinsic. So it's not just emotions, but it's emotions that were in you before I ever met you. Yeah, that I could no, only really learn like about that I could only learn about if I asked you. So I have to start with learning from you about you. Yeah. So you're saying you like what did you like? Sorry to cut you off. Oh, no, I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, I really like how you are, how you've shifted it to be intrinsic. Because, yeah, I think if people are emotionally invested in something, they're more likely to follow through. Yeah, and emotionally invested of their own emotions. Because mm. a lot of people think, a lot of people expect if someone's going to talk to them about the environment to lead them to act, they're expecting to be told what to do or they, they often feel guilty, so they think that, or shame or something like that, or helplessness. And, and so they think that the per, like the person feels like, I didn't feel shame. Then you started talking to me. Now I feel shame. You wanted, you trying to make me feel shame. But their own consciences are generally doing that. Mm. And, but this is working. One of the big things I learned in this podcast was that everyone has intrinsic, meaningful, very powerful, emotions relevant to stewardship and sustainability. Mm. And if they already have that, and then we say Bangladesh is going to be underwater, here's what you have to do. It almost devalues, not almost, it, it devalues and it suppresses, not suppresses, but pushes down, neglects, ignores, mm. overrides what was already there. And what was already there, that can lead to epiphanies and inspiration. But me, there's no way I could have known about your turtle situation, your turtle memories. Yeah. 
Yeah, I have to say, I did not expect to be talking about that when I first came on here. But I did want to say, like, I do like how you open your podcast. And it was actually the thing that made me kind of keep listening of you remind people of it is not your responsibility to fix the entire world in a day all by yourself. Like you're part of a community who acts enough to care. And it was interesting because that actually got brought up in the Carbon Literacy Project of a lot of people feel this way. So they go, well, I'm just one person in what we've well and truly broken 7 billion now, haven't we? Are we are we at eight yet? We're over eight. eight. Yeah. So, you know, I'm one in over 8 billion people and rising, you know, what my actions don't matter. Like I'm just going to do my own thing. I'm not going to recycle properly. I'm not going to do this. Whereas you're just reminding people of, hey, like you don't have to be the one that changes the world. No one's going to, there is going to be no one person who changes the world. It's going to be one person who influences a lot of people and just kind of reminding people not to take that on. Because even I had the conversation with my partner, you know, because he'd throw something away and had, had yo, Michael, like, why is this in the bin? Like it should be in the recycling. And he's like, oh, you know, like this is one thing. I'm like, yeah, but this is one thing today, one thing tomorrow. And since I've known you, I've pulled, you know, a hundred things out of the bin and washed it and put it in the recycling. He's like, oh yeah, like I just, I didn't think of it that way. And he wasn't, he doesn't have that same kind of drive as me. And I feel like over the months I've been whittling away <laughs> going, you know, if you're not, at least if you're not going to do the right thing and, and if you're going to put this in the bin instead of the recycling, leave it on the bench and I will clean it and put it in the recycling. So he started to do that and we... I feel like I'm slowly <laughs> pulling him, not a, over from the dark side, but, you know, I'm slowly convincing him to make more sustainable options. So on Tuesdays, you know, he works kind of close to my university. So on Tuesdays, we try and carpool. And it's these little things over time. And I'm trying to get, he doesn't emotionally, he's not so much emotionally invested in the environment, but he's emotionally invested in me. And he knows that this is important to me. So I feel like I've inadvertently tried to take same approach of you have that you have of trying to get him emotionally invested in this. So there's some slight nuance here that all right, you said that he's not emotionally invested in the environment, but he is in you. I yeah. guarantee, I'll bet you any amount of money that he is deeply invested in the environment. He cares deeply about it. It's just there's different reasons why people suppress or deny it or or don't let it out because it, it, the, what we care about most makes us vulnerable. Mm. And most of us don't want to... We've been hurt. We've been made fun of. We've been picked on. We've been manipulated. So if I don't share with you what I care about, it's hard for you to manipulate me. Now, it also means we don't connect very much. Mm. And so the more that people try to convince and coerce and control, if he shares what he cares about and then the person starts using it against him and like, oh, well, here's what you should do then, then he's not going to share those things. True. And so all the CCCSC bludgeoning is, to my mind... It's like creating this huge friction and pushback mm. so that people act like they don't care. And then they'll say other people don't care. And it's from a leadership perspective, it's really counterproductive. Yeah. So when, so if you're trying to convince him of things, he's going to resist. He's going to think you're going to, I don't want to say just you, but if, if I'm trying to convince someone of something, then they're going to feel like, well, if you have to convince me, then there's a counter-argument and they're generally going to feel like their counter-argument is right because they had it first. That's what's in their hearts and minds. 
So it, it tends to reinforce, like trying to argue with someone about something tends to reinforce what they already felt, tends to lead them to reinforce what they already felt. If okay. I wanted to do it, you wouldn't have to convince me. So the fact that you're trying to convince me proves that I don't want to do it. That's interesting. So I'm just taking note of that because I feel like that can help. Sorry, that lens can kind of help with the club that I run of like trying instead of trying to convince people to do this, like to say these options are here. Yeah, well, this workshop that I do is to teach the Spodic method so mm-hmm. that you can do it. And then also so you can teach others to do it. And I think I sent you the page with the video on it. Yes, it might, it might be flagged. Um, I just need to get these two assessments done. And then, because I know that you sent me a link to something that's happening on the 26th of October, I think, or the 25th. Oh, that's that's this workshop. That's the um, panel that I'm going to be moderating. Yeah. That's going to be different. That's going to be interesting. That's just an hour. But the workshop oh, okay. is an eight-week thing where the process that I led you through of talking about, of evoking a memory, coming, bringing me there or having you bring us there, the emotions, the commitment, the smart goal, that's all a, a very specific process. It has to be catered because everyone's an individual, so everyone has different experiences and different emotions and things like that. But the workshop is to teach people how to do that method with others because when you I don't want to leave the witness here but when we come back next time I'm pretty sure you're going to say you like the experience mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure you're going to feel like oh my god there's things that I have access to that are really awe-inspiring and wonderful that made me feel responsible that you're going to like that you're like oh my god they were right there and you're going to find more things like if I ask you to do a second like do you want to do another round You'll probably say yes. Yeah. And I'm taking risks saying this because I don't want you to be like, I don't want to take away from the experience of just, you know, the experience. But if you like it and you want to share it with others, you're going to want to share things like awe and wonder. And if you're not spending time in nature, if you're not activating these emotions, you're probably sharing some passion, but it's probably something that is not going to spread. Because it sounds like you have a lot of, you're doing a lot of things. Yeah. And I'm not sure what the emotions connected with them are, but this sounds like it's more of a peak emotion. Yeah, you're right. I think a lot of the stuff that I've done so far has been driven by passion. Uh But yeah, I think you're right. It hasn't been driven by that feeling of awe and wonder and connectivity and yeah, I feel like this is going to be very interesting. Yeah, I'm really interested to hear how it goes afterward and, and if it affects other things. I also share that when I do these workshops, if there's an odd number of people, when it comes time to pair up and have everyone practice with each other, if there's an odd number of people, they end up doing it with me. Oh, cool. And at first I thought, you know, I've read enough articles that say, here's 10 things you can do for the environment. I've already done a bunch of them. I thought, well, how many times can I pair up with someone before I run out of things to do? <laughs> And the opposite happened. Okay. The more that I do it, or the more that I have it done with me, the more... Like it used to be someone would ask me about some environmental, some memory. At the beginning, I would usually pick the same one. And after a while, I was like, I don't have to pick the same one. There's a whole lot of other memories as well. Mm. So I'd start sharing different things. And then when they 
got to emotions, different emotions would come up, dramatically different emotions. I mean, sometimes it might be awe, another time it might be fun, another time it might be playful, another time it might be relaxation or community connection, family, all these. I mean, those aren't all exactly emotions, but hopefully you know what I mean. And then when they'd ask for commitments, because it was different emotions, I'd come up with different things. And so I'd come up with more and more and more things. So I concluded it's not a set of things. There's a checklist and, you know, do these. Mm. It's more a set of skills that the more that I learn them, the more I can find to do. In the sense, it's sort of like if I learn how to play a musical instrument, it's not like if I play enough basic exercises, then I'm done. That opens the door to everything else. So it's a really different experience for me now. And I love doing it. Like the turtles, I haven't seen a turtle thing like that. I've seen documentaries about it. So I, mm. I'm picturing like this, the moonlight glinting off their wet shells and they're kind of yeah. moving like, not waddling, but I don't know how you describe it because they're not, they're amphibious. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a waddle shuffle. <laughs> yeah. Leaving little trails in the sand and the sand is probably not dry. It's probably wet. And so yeah. you can see, and they dig little holes, but I'm not there. And so when you said salt, I was like, of course it would be salty, but mm. I, I wasn't there. So that like woke me up a bit. Mm. So I love that experience. It's my favorite part of the podcast is hearing people's, and man, I just had this guy on who was South African and he was talking about Botswana. Mm. And I was like, that was one of the few times when I didn't even, how do I put it? I, it was beyond, like I was trying to imagine and it was beyond, I was just, at, I, I reached the end of where my experience could take me mm. and then he was past that. And it, it was just a wonderful experience. And so I love that. So as it works out, the, the next workshop starts in January. I'm not trying to pitch it, but I think you might like it. Oh, cool. January. Yeah, and it's the first one where Evelyn, who you'll see on the video, she she first started doing she did it in the spring. And then in the summer she started TAing. And then the next one she's gonna be the teacher. I'm gonna be her TA. So that Oh cool. Yeah. The goal is for this to become for people to learn how to do it and so it will spread. So the strategy yeah. that has emerged from the Spodic method is top down, bottom up, everywhere, all at once, starting here now with me and you. And the spreading, the bottom-up pro- approach is for people to learn the Spodic method, share it with each other, and so that they're sharing joy and how to create joy in others. Well, I, I say joy usually, but it could be awe. It could, you know, the intrinsic emotion. Yeah. And then they can spread it to each other, and then they can spread, and they can spread, and they can spread. I, I dream of one day someone doing the Spodic method with me who never met me before, and I, I will have no idea how they got it. And I'll say, oh... Where'd you get that from? And they're like, oh, and then I'll be like, oh, I started it. <laughs> I'm despotic. Yeah. No, I think that that's a really wholesome, yeah, wholesome goal. And I do like how the whole goal of this is like for it to be more than more than you, more than me, like more than ourselves, because this is something that everyone's going to face. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I just really like that. Yeah, for me, if it's really done well, I, I think that the per, my goal is for the person to feel inspired, unleashed. Mm. And so that they're really doing it 
like, yeah, there's an element of accountability. That's why I had to schedule a second conversation. But that's just to motivate. Yeah. But it's something that I, th- yeah, I want to connect people with something that's really, I think, intrinsic to us. There's a reason why, like, you know, if I meditate, I can see why I could be in the middle of a garbage dump and find beauty there. But I really prefer to be in the shade under a tree by bubbling brook than in the middle of a garbage dump with a bunch of bulldozers pushing garbage around. And except our world is creating more garbage dumps. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, you are right. So I wanted to ask some other questions before we wrap up. Any favorite episodes of the ones you've listened to so far? I think the one that I'm listening to at the moment, part one and part two came really quick because it was only like a week apart and I can't remember his name. Basically, he was just, he was the one who actually came up with the cold shower method. Oh, Joel Runyon? Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. And so your follow-up interview was straight away the the one after because it was only a week. And yeah, I I thought that you came up with a cold shower thing, and I've actually I I um don't want to sound like a dork, but like I take notes during your podcast. Like I'll just kind of take uh-huh. a mental note if I'm driving, or if I have a pen handy, I'll just quickly write down of like, okay, you mentioned this TED talk, go go find that out, or this person's got this book, you know, have a quick read of what that's about. And yeah, so I've got a note to listen to that TED talk about the benefits of taking cold showers. So yeah, that, I think that's the one that I'm liking the most at the moment because he was very insightful and he kind of encourages people and he really gets people to kind of admit to themselves, okay, well, if you have this business plan idea or if you want to start this business, why aren't you doing it? And then he said, oh, you know, people would reply with, oh, you know, I'm busy or I don't have the finances yet or X, Y, and Z. He's like, no, 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 but why? And they'd come up with more excuses mm-hmm. at the yeah. end of it. He's like... Well, no, actually, like, there's ways to circumvent those. Like, you're like you're scared. This is a scary thing to do, and like getting kind of people to admit within themselves what the actual barriers are, why they aren't doing something. I just found that really interesting, and not everyone can do that without people just walking away, and because it can be quite confronting to admit that you know you're scared of something. So I found that that episode's been really interesting, closely followed by the one I emailed you about where it was a book about being brave and just just doing things, which is why I emailed you. All right. It worked. <laughs> yeah, Joel is amazing. And he came over here for stew, I think, with his girlfriend. So yeah. I got to meet him in person after he had inspired me to take all those cold showers. And my, my record cold was 39.9 Fahrenheit, which is, I think, four degrees Celsius. Ooh, and okay. Yes, that one. That's cool. Usually it's uncomfortable. That yeah. one, actually, I would describe as painful. Yeah, it but would be. <laughs> once you step out, the pain goes away. It's, yeah, he, his TEDx talk and his, his page, I haven't checked lately, but I think it's still up of Impossible HQ where he, he share like, where he did a few written posts about it. And it's like, it, it doesn't count if you're in some place where it was like. Oh, in India. Yeah, or, and if there's. Yeah, I feel like there's ways to weasel out of it, but he's like, no, cold shower, minimum five minutes, not like 
you take a shower and at the end of it, you make it cold for a little bit. It's, and, yeah. and it's brutal and awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he spoke about how it goes beyond just the cold shower. Like if you can force yourself to do that, you can force yourself to do anything. And he said, if you can run a marathon, you can run an ultra marathon. Cause the difference between the marathon and the ultra marathon isn't so much about what your body can do. It's a lot to do with your mind. Mm-hmm. Because the mindset of, okay, if you get to the, I think it's the 20 mile mark in a marathon, you can tell yourself, okay, I've only got six miles to go, but an ultra marathon, you've got to tell yourself that you've got 11 miles to go and that's a lot longer. And so mm-hmm. your your mind starts to play like a bigger role in an ultra marathon. Like obviously you have to be physically capable of it, but you also have to be mentally prepared for it because your mind plays a much bigger part in the whole marathon aspect in an ultra marathon than a normal marathon. Yep. Yeah, I've only I've only run marathons. I haven't done I mean yeah. Although I'm also curious now you're talking about someone else's episode. So future people are gonna to listen to this episode. What do you think they're gonna get out of it? Oh. I don't know. Cause in like in my own head I'm just some random uni student from Australia who who emailed you being like, Hey, I'm a huge fan of the show. I don't know what people get out of it. Hopefully the knowledge that there are people from all corners of the earth who care about this enough to actually act, which is what your whole podcast is about. So hopefully I can just kind of be a small piece of that jigsaw. Mm-hmm. Now I have to refine it a little bit because it's not that there are people who care enough to act. I think everyone cares, but there's inhibitions and often placed upon them by society, including the most passionate environmentalists. So if, if someone's not acting and we say, well, they don't care, if they do care, but they're not acting because they think they might be judged for it or something like that, really? then they'll feel like, well, I do care, but you think I don't care. So you don't know me, so I'm not going to listen to you. I think there's a lot of that happening. Yeah, true. Like I was I was at my um, business school reunion and I was talking to this friend of mine. He's like, yeah, all these people, they don't care. And I say, well, I couched this and you know said, if you don't mind my saying, you pollute a lot too. Do you not care? And he goes, no, of course I care. I go, well, how come if they don't, if they pollute, it's they don't care. But if you pollute, you do care. And he goes, well, at least I think about it. Well, and I'm like, well, why would you think they don't think about it? Mm. And it, it finally, he's like, oh, you're right. Yeah. And so it's not the care, it's not the lack of it. That's why I like to say unleashed, because there's some leash, there's something holding us back. And it's often other people, our culture. Um, and that's what I want to change. Nah, I think that is, it's really relevant. Yeah, relevant. Because especially now, because we live in a world where a lot of people do get judged very, very quickly, especially on things like social media where, you know, you can put up a post and people will judge you going, oh, okay, we can afford this holiday, you know, good for you. I can't afford to, you know, fill my car up. And it's very easy to feel that way, but they might be going, I've worked six years so I can afford this. And you don't always understand other people's perspectives just by looking at them, I suppose is what I'm trying to say. And it's good that you're getting people to actually think more deeply instead of just making snap judgments. Yeah, empathize more than think. 
Yeah. Well, shall we pick up here next time after you've walked a few times? Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually really looking forward to it. It's I'm looking forward to getting like reconnecting, I suppose, with nature. All right. So anything to close with before wrapping up? Actually, I did have a question for you because huh? your challenge, your personal challenge for yourself, I think in episode zero, was that you wanted to not consume packaged foods. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I was just wondering, do you have, like, what's the definition there? Like, if you have milk that's in a recyclable container, is that okay? Or are you talking about, like, individual packets of, like, chips or things like that? Like, I'm just wondering where the line is. Okay, so I got to give you a bit of process here rather than the exact answer. Because the story is that in the fall of 2014, I had the idea to go for a week without packaged food. Yeah. Guess when I started that week? I'm going to guess Monday? (laughs) Spring of 2015, six months later. Oh, wow. Okay. And the reason it took me six months was that every time that I would think to myself, like I'd go to the store and I'd buy some hummus or, you know, something in a plastic container. I mean, everything would be in a container. I'd say, oh, I got to start that thing. Yeah. And I'd start feeling a set of emotions that were generally feelings like inadequacy and helplessness and hopelessness and and emotions that I didn't like. So another part of my mind would say, okay, okay, let's get this done. Let's plan. Let's analyze. Let's plan and, get, and, and figure this out. What am I going to do day one, day two, day three? Because I want to make sure that I, I want to make this work. Three. The effect of that would be to busy my mind with analysis and planning. Then that the emotions that prompted them would get crowded out. So I'd feel like, oh, okay, I'm figuring this out. I'm figuring this out. Then the, the shame or the guilt or whatever would go away. Now, it didn't go away. I guess it got pushed down. It, got, yeah. it was pushed out of my conscious, crowded out. And then I think I wouldn't quite figure it out. I'd analyze and plan until I felt not so stressed. And then I'd give up and I'd say, okay, I'll get to it later. I'll get to it real soon. So the cycle went on for six months. And one of the big things was like, do stickers count? Do rubber bands count? And eventually I just said, I'm starting now and I'll just solve it as I solve it. So I forget the details, but I think like rubber bands, I said were okay, but stickers were not. And Stuff that was in my cupboard was okay. But the point was, I could have gone anyway on any of those things. The point isn't, I, what I recognized, and this was a huge step forward for me in life, was in situations where I'm not going to die, just start. Yeah. That's why when later I read this article about how most of the world doesn't refrigerate nearly as much as we do, and their diets are healthier, then I started thinking, I wonder if I can do that. And before I could start analyzing planning, I went over and unplugged the fridge because I knew I wasn't going to die. I could always just plug it back in again. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what my definitions were when I first started it. But the more I did it, the more I'd cut out more and more things. But you know, when I get when I volunteer and I pick up food from the store that was going to get thrown out and I bring it to the shelter, or not shelter, but the, the community center that people can get it for free. Mm-hmm. Then if there's a bunch of apples, then I'll take some apples. And if they have stickers on them, I'm okay. I'm like, that would have gone into the garbage or landfill. Yeah. And so I'm much more, I allow things there. And also if I, once I was at the, I was in the park 
And I saw this plastic container of lettuce. So I don't know who dropped it or left it, but it was completely sealed. Like if I squeezed it, it was airtight. Oh, yeah. So I thought, all right, if I leave this here, probably it's going to get thrown away. I want to eat it, but I'm not going to, but I don't want this garbage. I don't want the plastic in my garbage. So I said, I made a rule for myself that if I get something that was garbage and I eat it, that doesn't sound so, my mom is going to be embarrassed if, if this like gets quoted and put in some post somewhere. But if it, you know, if I get something, I can eat it and not take the garbage home. Yeah. So that's something that I worked out. Now, if, if I go to store, I can't like, the goal is not to sneak around the rules. It's really to take, like the other day, oh man, this is so annoying. I was meeting someone and she suggested meeting at a cafe. So we get to the cafe and the cafe forces, like everyone sitting there has to get something. I'm like, oh, and I don't like coffee. I didn't want anything. So they had miso soup. So I said, okay, I'll have a miso soup. And they brought it out in a double paper cup. Oh. And I'm like, oh, it's already used. So I have to, so I gave one cup back and they're like, but it's hot. I'm like, that's fine. Yeah. And there's all the stuff that they served on plates with metal spoons. And now I had no idea that was coming. If I had known, I would have said, you know, in a metal or porcelain container. So now I have to take that home. So now that's the most garbage that I've produced probably in the last 30 days. So it's this one thing that I didn't even want. So I'm not trying, once I've produced it, I have to take a responsibility for it. So even though I was at a cafe, I brought the paper cup home. And just to be clear, the paper has plastic coating on it, so I can't just stick it in paper recycling. Ew. So I'm not trying to sneak around things. But that took time to take to include more and more things because the more things that I avoid polluting, the more freedom I've created in my life, the more joy I created in my life. But okay. I didn't recognize that at the beginning. Yeah, it's funny that you used the example of hummus because that's actually the, the thing that I was thinking of as well is Okay, I love hummus, but it comes in a plastic container with a little bit of the alpha thing on top. I'm like, okay, what if I make my own hummus? And straight away, I was like, okay, but the chickpeas comes in a can. Is that like acceptable? Because it's a re- it's a material that can be recycled. And I'm just I was wondering where the line is. It was basically what the st- the moral of the story is: the line you have to set the line for yourself. Yeah, and recognize that it's going to change. The more you do it, the more you're going to discover. Like, yeah. I probably felt something like that before, but now that I'm so used to getting things from bulk and pressure cooking them, and the pressure cooker is, you know, I'm off the grid, so it's solar powered, which is still not clean, green, or renewable, but at least it's it's methadone. It's not the hard stuff. And so now, actually now I've also realized, um, since it's up and down so many flights, I always look for ways that I can use less and less and less energy. So I figured out how to cook them even using the minimum amount of power or like less and less and less all the time. And still like, so blending chickpeas is like really easy. So the more that you, it's, it's skills that you learn. The more that you learn these skills, the more things that used to be impossible become hard. What was hard becomes doable and what was doable becomes trivial. And what was trivial, you don't, you don't even, I don't even notice that I do these things. Like one time this television crew was over and I was just washing my hands or I don't know, something where I went to the faucet and maybe I was washing my hands 
So I go and wash my hands. And then they're like, wait, do that again. We want to film that. I'm like, what? And they're like, how little water you used? Because I, I just turn on the water and wet my hands. Then you, you turn it back off again and soap. And then, you know, and, and so it's a small fraction of what most people use, but I don't even notice it. They're like, we want to get that. I'm like, what? What'd I do? What'd I do? And that's what happens. So for me now, meanwhile, I learn more and more about Hadza and, and indigenous cultures where five-year-olds are more sustainable than I'll ever be because that's, you know, for the same reason that someone who learns a language natively is always going to know it better than someone who learned it when they're 50 years old. Yeah. So I'm always learning more. And it's freedom is what I'm creating for myself. Freedom, discovery, yeah. joy, connection. No, no, thank you for answering that. Because, um, yeah, I was genuinely curious about where the line is because I've wanted to do it, which is why I came, you know, I thought I was prepared knowing that my challenge is going to be to make my own bread, which I'm going to tell myself I'm going to do anyway. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm going to try to do that anyway. I'll tell you with the bread. I, do you have a bulk store near you where you can buy stuff by the pound and put it in a container that you brought? There is one. It's a 20-minute drive away, but it's the bulk food store. And I've been mm-hmm. I've been wanting to shop there instead of like our big brands like Coles and Woolies instead. Yeah, it took me a while to get used to that. Mm. And that week when I went without packaged food, which has now become the rest of my life, although it's not zero, but it's a lot less than before, then I boiled beans on the stove for the first time in my life in my 40s. And whereas most of the world does it all the time. But since then, then I went from boiling it on the stove to making the pre- in the rice cooker. And then I didn't have a pressure cooker. So then I got a pressure cooker and that like saves a lot of time. Yeah. And, but I couldn't know, like if someone had told me, here's all the steps to follow, I wouldn't follow them because I'd be like, oh, that sounds too hard. Which is why yeah. I don't tell people like, here's what to do. But if you do it yourself, you'll get there. If you have the mindset shift. Yeah. If you look at it as like, oh, this is something to discover as opposed to, oh, what do I have to do next? Do you want to, like, I think a lot of people are like, all right, I'm avoiding straws. What else? God, do I have to, I have to like close the laptop lid? All right, fine, fine, fine. I'll do that. But it's kind of a pain because then I have to open it back up again. And maybe actually when it opens up, it uses more power briefly and maybe it's actually worth, worse. That's pre-mindset shift. Yeah. Post mindset shift is like, what can I, huh? What else can I do? What more joy can I bring? How much more can I connect with people that currently I'm trying not to think about because I'm polluting their world or displacing them from their land to get the minerals underneath? Yeah. Yeah. I um, I just had a quick look online and the that store that I was talking about is actually permanently closed. So I'm going to have to do some research on to where I can actually get some the bulk food items where you just pay by like pay by the kilo with your own containers. Because uh-huh. um, I was looking up, what was it, like farmer's markets to go to? Uh-huh. And the closest ones to me are a good, you know, zero traffic, you know, a good 45, 50 minutes away. So then I'm trying to like weigh up of, okay, what's the carbon emissions of me driving there, getting the fresh food versus getting it from like my local store. But it's not, yeah. Yeah, it's not like local. 45 minutes of driving sounds like pretty far for biking. Yeah. Because the max thought is like bike. Yeah. But 
oh, you might want to listen to my mom's episodes of starting a co-op of food. Uh, uh, at the beginning, before it was a co-op, it was a like 10 families getting together and each taking a turn shopping for 10 families at once. Like a buying a buyer's club, I think they would call it today. Oh, cool. Yeah, that way they saved money. It's a rare thing. You know, engineers often say, what do they say? Time, quality, cost, pick any two. You don't get all three. Yeah. But this buyer's club that my parents did when I was a baby, it was because they went at four in the morning, they got higher quality because they got the first choice of stuff. Because they were buying for 10 families at once for a week at a time, they got better prices because they were going, you only had to go once every 10 weeks. So even though that one time it was a pain to get up really early, but you only have to do that once out of 10 weeks. So it saves time. So it's higher quality, less time, lower prices, plus you meet your neighbors. So it's like a rare case where it's a win on all fronts. Mm. Now in New York today, people, if I'm say caught, people are like, Josh, you don't understand. People don't have time and money. A single mom in a food desert, she has to feed her kids and can't do these things. And it took me a long time to realize that the reason my parents did it was because they didn't have time or money and they did have three kids that they had to feed. It was the exact opposite of what everyone, everyone's really quick to say, see, I think they're really protecting themselves. Yeah. I think that they're saying, here's why I'm not, I'm not doing it and I could do it. So how, how, oh, I'm in solidarity with others. But my, to so to speak in their language, my lived experience is the opposite. Yeah. So I'm not sure if you're up for forming a, a group like that, but if you look around, you might find them. Yeah, I am going to have to try and figure out how to do that because I've been thinking about it pretty much ever since I listened to episode zero. Uh-huh. I'm like, okay, this person who I don't know in the States can do it. I can do it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I hope people feel like. That's what Joel Runyon gave me. That's what, when I read about the first time I saw a TEDx talk with this woman, Lauren Singer, and she fit all of her garbage into one jar for a year. Yeah. And my first, I first thought, what's the trick? Obviously, there's a trick. And then I was like, wait a minute. Why do I think there's a trick? And then I thought, well, she can do it. I can do it. And it took me years of practice, but eventually I got there. Yeah. Yeah. No, it'd be interesting to see what's changed when I speak to you next. Like, I'm not expecting uh-huh. like my whole world to change, but it'll be really interesting and kind of to hold myself accountable of, okay, well, what did you actually do? Like, you said you're going to do this. What did you implement? And what else did I do? Yeah. Well, let's pick up here next time then. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. All right. Well, Jackie Buchanan, thank you very much. Thank you so much. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step by step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.